Welcome to Crafting a Revolution. I'm your co-host, Katie Thompson. Here we share interviews with female and non-binary makers of all kinds from all over the world. I'm also the creator of the Women of Woodworking Project and Pen and Chisel, a journal created to highlight the work and stories of underrepresented voices in craft. Today, our guest on Crafting a Revolution is artist, furniture maker, and designer, Suju, joining us from Seoul, Korea. She is a graduate of RISD and has recently completed residencies at Anderson Ranch and Penland, where she developed a robust ceramics practice and explored woodworking techniques with organic shapes. Her immaculate attention to form and detail have seen her work featured in this year's RISD Korea exhibition, as well as a recent launch of a new collection on first dibs. Before we get to the interview, I'd like to make a huge shout out to our patrons on Patreon. Thank you to Lee at Lee Runyon, Annette at 513 Woodworks, Katie Thompson, yours truly at Women of Woodworking, Kevin at Lefty's Woodshop, Christy at Twisted Twine, Jeremy at Jeremy Speck, Sammy at Go Lee, Rachel at Moody Makes, Bonnie at Tool Mom Bonnie and ToolMomStore.com, Laura at Oakley Soap Company, Brandy at Studio Abe, Lee at the Rainbow Carver, Ellen at Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan at Ethan Carter Designs. Make sure you go to Patreon and sign up, support the podcast. All right, let's get to our interview. All right. Well, thank you so much again for joining us for Crafting a Revolution. Today we have Suju all the way from Seoul, South Korea. She is just a powerhouse of an artist. I, I Artist doesn't even seem to like fully encapsulate everything that you do. You're just phenom. So um, please go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into your craft. Uh, hi, my name is Suju. I um, work in wood and ceramics. Um, I actually started off in fine art. Uh, I got like a classical training in like painting and drawing and then during college I actually realized I really had an affinity for 3D making the most and so I picked furniture design to major in um, and then after graduating at an artist like I went to artist residency at Anderson Ranch and that's when I found ceramics and really fell in love with ceramics. So right now I'm working in both mediums. It's really hard for me to pick one. Um, yeah, and right now I'm working in Seoul, Korea during, since the pandemic started. It's been a couple years, like almost over a year since I got my personal studio space here. So I've been making work here and then hoping to sell work uh, here, but also abroad in America as well. Wonderful. And the thing about your work working in multiple mediums is there's still such a continuity. I love having seen some of your 2D drawings having come to life. Like 
a, a very recent piece that you just had. Actually, um, tell us a little bit about your recent exhibition and collection. Um, I know RISD had a, a special exhibition that you were able to participate in. Let's hear more about that. Yeah, so um, there was a, a RISD Korea exhibit. RISD Korea is like a pretty tight network here. It's been around for like over 10 years, like almost 20 years. And this year, uh, I think last year they might have like not had the exhibit, but every year we have like a school alumni exhibit and I participated in the exhibit this year. I put some furniture work up there, some printmaking, um, some ceramics pieces. And yeah, it was like kind of the first time that um, a lot of my friends in Korea could see my work um, exhibited. So it was meaningful in that way for me. That is so special because you have studied and done residencies over here in the States. So that is right. just, just lovely. How has, how do you think that has influenced your work? You know, um, definitely, you know, growing up in Korea, um, more minimalist aesthetic, whereas Western, we've talked about this before, as friends, you know, yeah. can be a little bit heavier. Um, what's that balance been like for you? I know, like, when I was in America, I realized a lot of my aesthetic, like the aesthetic that I gravitated towards was super inspired by, like heavily influenced by the Korean aesthetics. So my grandmother is actually a East Asian ink painter. So she like paints like, like mountains and like the like classic leaf plant called Nancho with like the five leaves and like each one has like a specific length you're supposed to draw it in. And like, a specific stroke it's supposed to go in. It's like one of like the, the building blocks of like um, East Asian painting. But I remember just like watching her paint when I was younger and just like she would always say like you're not supposed to like go and go over like a stroke you made like that's it whereas like in western painting which I like learned as well like in school um because I went to art middle school in Korea where I like really like got a really intense background in, like drawing um in pencil and charcoal and also like western painting and watercolor and stuff like that but you're like, you're always supposed to like go over like an oil painting and like, that's like the whole point is like the layering and like, you can always change things, but it's like so different in, in Korean painting. It's like the one stroke, it captures everything. And like, you don't mess with that, you know? If you, and if you don't like it, you gotta like start over. <laughs> but it, like captures the moment, you know? Like wow. in an East Asian painting, they really think like, the, the like stroke captures like you're like being as an artist and like your mental state like if you're stressed or worried or whatever if you're not focused fully and like present like it'll show in your strokes and and my grandma would always say like oh I can't paint like this today's paintings aren't working out or like I can't paint this week but it's not like her skills went anywhere it's just like something was a little bit off it's like hard to get there you know it's hard to even describe it but yeah, yeah it really no, 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 no. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's very different. 
I, I love it. And um, I can definitely resonate with that as like an abstract painter. That's definitely something that I love having gra gravitated to like digital art because it allows me to live in a moment like that, but not have this other pressure of having to keep putting paint and layers and things looking such a certain way. So um, what a, a beautiful uh, structure to have to like work in and to have such a connection also just to your movements. Um, wow. And I know a lot of artists that um, feel like they can't create, you know, in their given medium, if, if things are a little off, but to be able to detect that in a simple, simple hand stroke. Um, wow, fascinating. So that that know, gives us a very great insight to the background that you grew up with. And <laughs> okay. wow, I can see that preciseness. Um, but uh, and that's the other beautiful thing about your work is it's it is precise, but it's also very feeling, you know, um, lots of shade, sense, you know, almost kind of sensuous to it. So um, wonderful. Well, thank you for, <laughs> for sharing that with us. So, so you got started drawing and painting um, as a, you know, as a child growing up with that kind of influence. Um, what, you know, yeah. pushed you to come to the States to do your studies? So when I was, I was born in Seoul, Korea. But when I was six, um, me and my parents and my two brothers, siblings, we all moved to Delaware because of my dad's schooling, because he went to grad school um, at the University of Delaware. So we all came here and ended up living here for like six years. So I like grew up here and I grew up like in the suburbs of Delaware, like riding horses and the park next door and like catching tadpoles in the stream. And um, I also had like an English tutor who came over every week to tutor me and my older brother. And she kind of like made me do, make me make stories every week and um, write drawings for them. So I did a lot of that, like making up stories and drawings to go with them. Um, what else? Wait, what was the question? <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> um, you were actually answering it. Um, what influenced your decision to to do your studies here, and oh, you know, ha having spent you know considerable time here as well as a you know uh, adolescent, like absolutely. Um, I caught tadpoles as a kid too. Such a really classic American childhood you described there. <laughs> you just like never forget the texture. A little squishy. They are. They're so cute. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> and then their legs grow out, and then they're still the same size. They look so silly. Tiny frog. It. Yeah. <laughs> like, when are you gonna grow up to be a real frog? What are you? You're just tiny. <laughs> Like, did I do something wrong or like, did I feed you something wrong? But yeah, no, but I grew up here and, and then we went back to a Korea after six years. So that was like when I was like in fifth or sixth grade and I went straight into art school for middle school and I did three years there and then it was awesome. Like I did so much art and, you know, I was learning what I wanted to do. 
like I told my parents I want to do more art when I got to Korea and that's how I ended up there but I felt like they had like a formula of like what art is supposed to be like to be good and I was like I'm not about this like this does not feel right like what do you mean like there's one way to do something I'm like no so I, I felt really strongly that I needed to escape because um, like in Korea, you go to art middle school and then art high school and then art college. Like it's a very clear path that like all, like most of my peers went through. And I was like, I think just like being more comfortable in the US and like knowing what that was like, I just really missed it and wanted to come, come back because I felt kind of like maybe I wouldn't become the artist I want to be if I stayed here, you know? Wow. So, yeah. So I went to boarding school here because uh, I still had to go to high school before college, before RISD, right? So um, I had family in, the, in Korea. I didn't have family in the U.S. So I had to go to boarding school. I went to boarding school in Jersey called Petty. And it wasn't really focused on visual art per se. Like the funding was more on like sports and academics. But I did get to like study a lot of academics which I really got into certain subjects that I did not expect like I you because you just don't know about like academic subjects when you're like born out of the womb you know <laughs> you gotta learn <laughs> yeah but I got like really into biology and really into physics I remember like my first physics class during the semester they, they were like teaching me Okay, so basically you can like throw a ball and you'll know exactly where it's gonna land if you just like know the like angle and like force you put into throwing it. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? Like the world runs on these like equations, like everything in the world is like predictable in a way. And I that just blew my mind. And then in biology, what blew my mind was like, they were telling me that the life, like, you know, every animal tries to survive, right? Like we're, we're trying not to get eaten and we're trying to like survive every day. But then they're saying that like the goal behind like all life is like to reproduce and like have sex and like make the next generation. And I was like, that's weird, you know? <laughs> like who knew? And I, I, I guess those like perspectives really like shocked me a lot as an artist. Um, so when I, it was time for me to go to college, I, I knew that I, I wanted to continue like taking these like academic courses or like having access to these classes. So RISD was really attractive to me because Brown is like right next door. So that's how I ended up at RISD in, in the US. Wow, and and fascinating, um, you know. To and, and I, you know, you can kind of see that in your work because even in your ceramic sculptures, there's so much movement, even though it's a stationary piece. Um, can definitely see the the love for physics and um, and of course natural forms and and things like that in your work. How how lovely I did not do so well in physics. <laughs> <laughs> I sucked at chemistry. I couldn't, I just could not do it. I was like, no. 
Um, as an adult, it, it makes more sense to me now, you know, these things, but I just remember as a teenager, like, you know, chemistry was a little bit better to like pull these things from the abstract and, you know, understand what they really are. I was like, okay, chemicals, I can kind of, kind of visualize what that is, but I've always been a words and pictures kind of, <laughs> kind of person. Girl. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's lovely though, to hear that and know that of your background and to combine that into such a beautifully creative side of yourself. You know, a lot of people that tend to um, like mathematics and sciences, you know, will say, well, I'm not very creative, but it sounds like, you know, you've, you've been both <laughs> since, since day one. And that's what a fabulous combination. Um, also uh, speaks to, you know, the preciseness of your work. Um, but also talking about the biology and, you know, the continuation of a species. I see a lot of continuation of thought and idea in your work, you know, um, it, it's, it, it's like nothing, no two things are the same, but you can, it's, you're still seeing, you know, a story here and it's just really, really lovely. I'm, I'm really enjoying hearing all this about you, of course. So, um, how, how wonderful. So, um, graduating from RISD, uh, you know, yeah. at the time that you did, what were your next steps? How did, you know, I know a lot of people graduating from college are kind of like, okay, what now? Um, what, yeah, what were your, what were your next plans? Okay, so I really needed to figure out, like, I mean, I've been like serious about art since I was like really young, right? Um, like my parents kind of had to accept that I was going to have a career as like an artist or in the arts since I was pretty young. And um, so I really wanted to like figure out what I was going to do like before I graduated you know, because like as, as an international student and like, I don't have too much time in the US and like the tuition's crazy. And I just really wanted to like make the most of it. Um, so I did like architecture internships. I was like, okay, furniture is pretty similar to architecture. Like, let's see what that's like. I was like, I can't work in an office. That life is not, not good with me so then I was like okay let me try interning with a sculptor and see what that's like so I interned with a sculptor in Korea for a couple years um called Lee Jae-hyo and he was really like my mentor he's still like one of my biggest mentors um and what while I was like going to his studio like multiple times a week and seeing how he lives his life like I was like okay I definitely could see myself living like this like having a studio and like making work every day and like having this kind of life I was like yes I, I love this I like I can see myself doing this so um that was good like I figured that out like maybe junior year wow. of college so that I was like okay I have a I feel good about this and then when I was graduating I was like oh shit like I'm gonna lose access to studio spaces right like that's what everyone worries about and like especially in woodworking like you need so much fabrication equipment mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like freaking out just a little bit about losing access to everything all at once so mm -hmm. I applied to like create I applied to crazy resident like I applied to like 10 residencies and I got into Anderson Ranch so and it was a three-month program so that was really great like that's where I made that 
that three-legged table and the print that goes with it I kind of it was like the first time I kind of explored that idea of like the process of making that work and and the work going like hand in hand like exhibiting together um because like the top shape of that table is based on that motion track sketch right the monoprint so I'm very grateful for Anderson Ranch also that's where I learned ceramics so for me it was really great experience <laughs> um yes and and then during the, and that's when the pandemic happened like right on the last few days of Anderson Ranch like it was crazy like we all left and then like the next day we heard about like COVID it was insane um so during COVID like I was gonna stay in the U.S. but they got too dangerous and I have family in Korea so I ended up moving back here and I think it was a safe decision it was like good at the moment and um yeah so I got a space here after I mean it took a while it took a while to get my own space here but I realized I needed to because I would be going into these like uh studio shares in like ceramics and wood and then I just have so much stuff and and the like the person who was running it would just be like who are you like why are you like doing this crazy stuff like making a mess everywhere <laughs> I was just like I'm sorry <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> getting kicked out so I was like okay maybe I should get my own space because I have like 17 molds here <laughs> like taking up so much but yeah and once I got my student I was like wow how did I live without this like it's so much stuff in here but it's been like a, over a year now a little bit over a year and yeah it's been really great making work here obviously I don't have like a full-on wood shop or anything I like use the wood shop that's like a couple subway stations away um really really nice guy and so I like I book like a month or two at a time when I need to for wood projects and then um I also like outsource for like CNC fabrication and um and you said I do like ceramic throwing and casting in my studio and like I sand or do like um finishing work in woodworking in my studio as well so yeah so far it's been very good how awesome I didn't realize that your residency at Anderson Ranch occurred right at that time um how how wild and and absolutely I think um these past few years have shown us how important home is and how important that space is and you and I were even discussing about my changes in studio space before this and um it, it really does affect your work um in so many ways and I'm I'm like you like I am much better off having my own space otherwise I do tend to we got a lot of stuff too. Got a lot of ideas, you know. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I have seen photos of your studio and just absolutely gorgeous. So I, I think it was definitely worth getting this space and the light in there too. That's that's got to be uh, really calming, and um, it just seems like very warm. Um, but open space, which is in contrast, totally different to being jammed into a communal shop with other things happening and, and things going on. So how, how do you fire your ceramics? Do you have your so, own kiln? I don't have my own kiln because I have like plans of moving back to the States, like within a year or two, like after the pandemic. 
like maybe getting an artist visa and, and or you know like going to grad school and so I couldn't really like settle settle here which has been really hard um like I would want to go like full out but I always have to keep in mind that I'm like leaving at some point you know um but I did you know really I came here with like a, this love for ceramics from Anderson Ranch and like I had no idea I don't know why I did not know this as a Korean but like Korean ceramics is like really intense and we have like a huge history of it here you know like Korean celadon and uh, like the ceramics I mean China and Korea and Japan are like crazy with their ceramic game everyone comes to like study here so I really took the opportunity to like study while I was here and I found like a great community of ceramic artists like my age who graduated from like ceramic programs in Korea and Seoul and took classes for like maybe a year or two um on like learning how to throw and I mean they have these crazy tools like most of the artists here that I know work with porcelain but um they like make their own trimming tools out of like this really intense metal. And it's just like crazy, like the level of, the level that they take this craft, is <laughs> like very different. So I was really fascinated by that. And I was really enjoying like learning everything I could about ceramics. And now that it's been like some time building rapport with them, um, they actually let me use their kilns to kill my own work, even though I'm not like, I didn't graduate from their schools or I'm not like working there, but they've been like generous enough to help me kill my stuff. So I've been like forever grateful. Oh, that's awesome. And, and that is neat. I didn't, you know, you don't think about people making their own tools that comparing that very closely to woodworking, you know, a lot of people make their own tools. So that's, that's fascinating to, to mm -hmm. hear. Um, and also, like you said, very interesting to see like how into in depth, in detail, um, you know, the texture those tools leave or, you know, all of all of those things are considered um, just really, really lovely. So um, you discovered ceramics at Anderson Ranch, um, which doesn't surprise me because you're just a beautiful, curious soul. So I can just like totally see you walking in there and like just totally falling in love. Um, head over heels. any advice for someone that is working in a medium that they really love but would like to explore but aren't sure if they should any advice for them oh my gosh you have to explore it like sometimes it can be really hard especially when you're like I get it like you're trying to be like a professional artist and you want to use your time wisely and stuff and stay focused but life is like so long I mean, like, how old are you? Like, you're probably like in your 20s or 30s or like, I mean, like, especially if you are my age or even if you're not, like, I think every everyone in our community is pretty young, you know, in our life. Like, we haven't lived like more than half our life yet. So I think it's pretty safe to say we can explore things because like, it's not, it's like, it's worth it, I think. Like, um you have those interests for a reason you know it's like a part of you and I we've had this conversation before like kind of but like as a holistic person like the stuff that you explore it kind of like makes up who you are you know and 
in the, if you think about it in like a super capitalistic way, it could be like scary to spend time and invest on something that you don't know if it's going to yield anything productive, but you guys are a person, you know, it's like life is long and your interests are valid. You don't have to do anything. Nothing has to come from it. It's still going to like be valuable. Even just like the happiness it brings you or like you being able to like make a decision and go with it. That's still like very positive momentum, you know, as a, as a maker and as a person. Yeah, I definitely encourage people to go for it. Um, absolutely. And, uh, you know, another great thing about the Women of Woodworking Project is meeting so many people that came to craft actually like later in life. So mm -hmm. I know I'm in my late, you know, mid to late thirties. And, um, I remember being very young and feeling like I was wasting all this like really precious time, not being productive, not making some, you know, just, I call it just making right. bad art. You know, I look back at some of that stuff. I'm like, who, um, you know, like, yeah, we all that, do that. that time is so necessary. And we all know um, that. I think no matter what we can all relate to that capitalistic, like, guilt of can I turn this into a side business can I sell this can I do this and I think it's even more important for people who are professional creatives and spend you know that's their livelihood is to be more even more intentional with time to just explore and play mm. and discover new things um and that definitely you know as a, a maker who writes who teaches who you know does all these things um and there are a lot of folks out there that do a lot of traveling with their teaching even on top of that um there's just such pressure to produce um it's just so important that we do give ourselves the time and comfortable space to be able to explore it's a critical part of our creative advancement and um that's yeah I appreciate you you bringing that up um yeah and, and I don't know about you I'm the type of creative person if I have an idea like I'm it's like an itch I have to scratch like I have to yeah you so I have to like sketch it on paper write it out type a note in or so you know just something that is like out there yeah um just to get started that's another thing is people feel like they don't know where to get started but um really listening to yourself is a really good place to to start so yeah. um yeah so well wonderful well um yeah you know we we talked about the kiln and ceramics um you've got furniture you've got your drawings you know you talk about coming back to the U.S. sometime soon um what are your kind of immediate plans are you really focused on studio time right now um what's up yeah I know I I have the studio lease for another year so until like next June so I'm trying to really make the most of the manufacturers I found here and like kind of getting settled in I have like so many more mirror designs that I I'm like dying to make some of them I've had since like 2019 since like Anderson Ranch and I need to get them out there you know 
<laughs> so I'm really trying to focus like the next couple months on making a couple of those mirror ideas. And then um, I also am looking for a part-time job. I always teach during the winter. Um, I usually tutor or like work in an art institution where <clears throat> not so much a school setting, but like for students who wanna go abroad like I did to go to art school. And so I like, I help them prepare a portfolio and like figure out like a direction, like what are your interests and how do we like make that visible in like writing or in your portfolio. Um, so I'm, I'm looking to get another uh, student that I can work with pretty soon since applications are usually due in January. So that part-time job I'm hoping will like release me from the pressure of like having to sell my work to sustain or like help fund my practice. Um, I did recently just launched my work with First Dibs. So now they are available like to like a larger audience. Cause you know, when you just graduate like no one knows about you at all, <laughs> you know? Like, you may be work making work, but like no one knows you. So <laughs> I'm excited to have work launched there. I have like 15 pieces up. And so if I get orders, I have to like make stuff. So it can be very like a lot of pressure to make things like, oh, someone already like wants of this order, like I have to deliver. So I'm trying to make some pieces like early in advance, like now that that's up and all the pieces are finished, like I wanna make um, pieces that are like ready to sell. Cause you know, so they don't have to wait as long. Some of the like timelines to make work, like even for like casting bronze are like months and months. So yeah, I'm doing some work that I can do now. Uh, hopefully it sells in the future and then also trying to make some new work and then getting a part-time job. So I don't have to like, I think it helps me like getting a job will help because like you can sell your work for like what it's worth instead of like lowering it to be affordable so that you can like sell it. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's such a tricky balance um, to you know, you're right. Like when, especially when you're first getting started, you know, like you, you might have this body of work, but then there's so much more that goes into getting it out there and getting your name out there. And you're right. It's really easy to try to compromise, you know, what you sell a piece for because you want to sell it or you need to sell it. And, um, that's a really tough place to be in. So, um, yeah, I, I think a lot of us, you know, makers, you know, if we don't have some sort of teaching or, you know, some, it's kind of like we have, um, you know, just like your regular bread and butter kind of income. Um, it's been very interesting to like, see how artists manage that on top of trying to sell and produce work and, and things like that. And um, yeah, I can't wait to get on first dibs and check out and see everything you've got on there because your work is is really exquisite and and that's the the hard thing is um, you know you put all that time and care into it you should absolutely validate you know that those efforts and and get paid what you deserve but it's like you said it's a it's a very tricky balance to do so so um, so scary uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's kind of like opening a part of yourself 
a little bit, you know, kind of makes you feel a little bit vulnerable because you're saying, hey, this is what I've made and this is what, you know, it's worth. And it's hard when that gets challenged sometimes too. It's like hurts a little bit more personal. Oh, when people are like, why does it cost this? Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Don't get me started. (laughs) It's so hard. Do you have that struggle too? Like, it's so hard. And also like having to figure out pricing for this whole launch has been really a challenging experience because pricing is not transparent in the art world. Like price upon request, you know, galleries have websites and their prices are like of work is like not on there. You have to like call, which is very crazy and uh, intimidating. And like, I got a lot of advice on on pricing work from my mentor here and Lee J Hill and he I would have never known this without asking him or like him telling me but um he gives he gives me a lot of type tips on pricing work he's like um whatever price you think just do it twice as much so that people are like wow that's so expensive why is it like that and they get curious I didn't really take that advice but it's just like crazy like you never think that way you know and then something else he's like it's harder like you know when you're young you can make work and sell it for you know what what people will be willing to buy it for but like later on you'll like have a have a thing with a gallery you'll have a relationship and they do not want to raise your prices later on like if they make it hard you have to have like reasoning like you can't just raise the price you know like twice as much just because it used to be like less and so it's like right now, since I'm still young, like I would like to sell work at a price that can be affordable, but then like later on, I can, it won't be sustainable. Like since I make work for like two months at a, like it takes two months to make like a, a table or a bench, like with all the carving, it's like, it just won't be sustainable for me if I price things how I could sell them right now. And yeah, I'll have to think about it. I think that's a great point. You know, if you want to keep doing what you're doing, it has to be sustainable. If if you don't charge what you need to be able to continue doing work, that just defeats, you know, the point altogether. So that's a great, that's a great thing yeah. uh, to point out. You know, um, if you want to keep making work, you know, increase your longevity by taking care of what needs to be taken care of now. Um, wow. also he gives me advice he's like like we don't think about it like this as makers so you know we're just like we're making stuff we love and they're like if someone wants to buy we're like yay we're so excited but he was like you know your the the worth of your work is only determined by the cost like money and the price of things is like how we define value in this world like that's the only way and like thinking about like that it's like wow, I really need to price things how they're worth, you know what I mean? Even if it doesn't sell and even if whatever, like it doesn't make any sense. It's like, if you think that's what it's valued or like you think, you know, that's the value it has in this world, your pricing has to show that. Or else it's kind of also like a disservice to other makers as well. If you're the only one like pricing stuff really low, you know, or yeah, it's lots of things about absolutely absolutely lots of lots of things to think about and um you know 
perceptions, you know, talking about other makers, you know, that's, it, it, it's an, it is an industry, you know, and um, I think we've come a long way, even in the last 11, 12 years that I've been, you know, making and participating in it professionally. Um, and just anecdotally, you know, I found that the more I valued my work, so did other people. I think mm -hmm. that comes out, you know, in your pricing, if you're like, oh, I'm not sure, or even just trying to connect with the person to buy your work in the first place, it feels, um, it, 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 I just, more people have responded positively when I have responded positively to my own efforts and, and really valued myself. So um, that's, that's a, yeah, that's, it's something great to think about, you know, and it's again, part of that balance of, okay, you know, um, we do have to make money at this if we're going to be professional artists. And then also, know. you know, balancing your voice in your work in every aspect, all the way down to the price tag. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad we're talking about it because I really feel like something that needs to be talked more about. Like we don't know enough, you know, we're not, I think we need to be sharing more information about higher price things and just having more conversations about these kinds of like uncomfortable topics that are actually like super crucial to what we do, you know? Absolutely, that transparency and passing on, you know, that knowledge, you know, um, we joke, you know, if there was some magical equation, <laughs> you know, then everybody would know it. We'd all be selling all of our work and it would be great. And, you know, but things yeah. just just don't always operate that way. Um, but there is so much unspoken. There is those barriers, really barriers to access is how I view them when you, know, you don't have prices listed or, you know, what have you. Um, it's, I, I think that can, that sets a tone from the get-go and as artists and makers to where we decide to place our work in galleries and exhibitions, you know, those relationships of those folks and institutions representing you. Um, that's not something to be taken lightly either. Um, I, as a young artist, you know, I tried everything. I, I did markets, I worked with galleries, I went to um, fine craft shows, you know, traveled and did all of that. And when it comes down to it, that relationship and, and knowing that the people who are representing you also know what you're trying to be about as an artist and a maker is is just as important um you know no offense you know to to etsy and and that sort of thing but that just goes to show how saturated it is and so rather than saying oh i have all these things to choose from i think people um it's really important that we're intentional about who we who we work with and who we help make help tell our story through through our work so lots of things lots of things to learn um and and it is refreshing to see that um you know previous generations are starting to be more transparent thanks to technology and um increasing more educational components to craft access um so people can understand things like resume writing and bookkeeping and all of these other little things that are really important to our, our jobs as artists and our, our businesses and livelihoods. Um, but instead of it being some unspoken 
thing. It's very interesting to see how many of us are starting to open up and really benefit from sharing that information. Totally benefits everyone. Resume writing, yes, something we need to learn, which is super important. Yeah, it's terrible that I teach resume writing and I was looking at mine the other day and I was like, whoo, <laughs> time for an upgrade. So <laughs> literally. Don't look at mine. Look at this example I have here for you. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's beautiful. Yeah, I feel the same way though. I'm like every few months, I'm like, mm -mm, this is bad. <laughs> oh, but the, and like there's other things, you know, for folks to consider the difference between a, a CV and a resume. Like, you know, that wasn't something I really knew the difference of until I became an artist. I was like, oh, wow, there are, you know, two different things because, uh, how things are traditionally handled, like in the corporate world, as you know, are can be a little, uh, I don't know, a little bit more strict in how they do things. And it's it's lovely as an artist to be able to incorporate things like your personality and your aesthetic and things that inspire you in your resume or in your artist bio and things like that. I think a lot of us get intimidated by that and aren't sure what to say or, um, you know, don't, don't want to seem too braggy or, you know, but like, I really do encourage people to just put their best forward, like be proud of, of what you've done and um, what you've worked on. And it, it's really lovely. We do have that space to be a little bit more creative with it and be ourselves that so we should let ourselves, you know, in that type mm -hmm. of work too. admin doesn't have to be um, super boring paper pushing you know because <laughs> yeah. I mean the goal is to kind of like show people who you are and get get them a give them a better idea of who you are right absolutely yeah. absolutely so I don't know you did resume workshops yeah um actually the furniture society for our um virtual conference this past year we um did a professional development series so um, it was really awesome. Each day we had uh, three presenters on different topics. Um, I was paired up with um, a lady from the Center for Craft that, you know, covered grant applications. And then there right. was yeah. photography, you know, and it was just really awesome. Um, and, you know, kind of jam-packed all into this package that they've actually, since it's all virtual too, um, are being able to give like new members and stuff access. So um so it's like three days I mean it's like essentially nine workshops like squeezed into you know a couple of days um it was hard they're like you've got like 20 minutes to talk about resumes I'm like 20 minutes that's it like oh my gosh <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's amazing how much um we learned and and um and, and really the grant application that stood out to me because that's another aspect mm -hmm. Um, doing residencies, getting grants and fellowships and things like that um, is is super important. Um, you also recently did a residency at Penland, which gosh, I so wish I could have come up and seen you there. But I know, I know we were COVID so close was, together. I know, the almost, were we so almost. Bad. I know we were like I was so close to you. <laughs> <laughs> Penland is oh, I. I've always dreamed about the core fellowship too, because a close friend of mine um, did it right after graduating from the furniture department. And Penland is just like, it was the first time I was like surrounded with 
these peers who are like my age and also trying to be like professionals in the craft field, like serious about it. And like young and like, it was just like, you never have experiences like that. It's so beautiful and it's so big, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The campus looks absolutely gorgeous. And then you were there in winter when it was Mm -hmm. snowing, which is just like, it looks like this magical creative wonderland and yeah um, it was really fascinating to watch you you know work with cnc and um i think that's when you were really starting the process of developing your mirror piece and um that's that's really important again you know it seems like residencies have been a good opportunity for you to expand into other mediums you know is did you go into residencies with that intention? Did you go in with a specific project in mind and it just kind of happened? You know, when you when you go into a residency, how, how do you approach your plans for it? You want to prepare as much as possible because you can do so much without a studio. Like I do all my modeling. Like I make tiny models and um, out of like uh, polymer clay or like wire and, um, you can do bunches, a bunch of sketches. You can figure out like the rough sizing of things. You know, just do like mock-ups on paper at home. And um, I think it really helps because it's it's just so valuable that time there. And like at Penland, I only had one month. So once I, since I, like the moment I got it, I was like, okay, what project am I doing? Like I figure it out, like which one makes the most sense? Which one can I like not do here? And like, which one can I like, does it make sense to do a Penland? And for me, like I had a few options, but I was like, okay, let's start with this corner mirror series because right now I'm doing a lot of bent lamb, bent lamination mirrors, which is like tiny, really thin veneer, like 30 plus layers of veneer. Um, And it just takes like a month just to finish like the general shape of of a mirror. So I was like, maybe if I do steam bending, I can do it faster. So I was like thinking about ways to make mirrors that are like less time consuming. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll try, I'll try steam bending. So I had the design and everything ready to go. I, I kind of went there, like figured out sizing on the first couple of days and um, steam bend. I mean, they have all the steam bending equipment that I don't have. So that's kind of why I decided on that. And yeah, it was great. I think I'm definitely gonna, Steam bending also had its own problems too. Like um, I think making joints is a little bit more complicated with like the kind of shapes that I'm doing that are organic, but, and also spring back is something that I didn't think about. So next time I'll have to make the shapes so that they kind of account for that um, and make the molds that way. But uh, yeah, I want to continue doing steam bending and bent lamb. Um, I got, I bought my own steam bending container after uh after <laughs> Penland so I have like the setup here now and um yeah with CNC like you learn the basics at school but like it's crazy because you know you're supposed to have like this kind of like it's like self-directed studio time in residency usually but um like that's kind of what it was at Penland even though I didn't really uh know that beforehand but um you also want to learn so much because you only have like three years of woodworking schooling. If you think about it, like that's not that long in the medium. Like you're there as like a young professional, but I was just, I was like really trying to take advantage of 
like learning as much as I could as well. Just because we're we're still we're still babies, you know, still learning. Oh yeah, always learning. Well that's and what a great way to approach going to a residency. You know, we put a lot of pressure on like having this project finished, that or the other, but really saying this is for for exploration. This is for me to see what works, what doesn't, what's the best way. Um, and I just, I love steam bending. That's like my, my, my jam too. So that sounds like super fun, oh but, um, so yeah. And the work you I could see you being Oh yeah. I love the very like sculptural element of it. Um, you know, kind of making wood do what you want it to do within the limits, you know, wood itself mm -hmm. is a, can be a very unforgiving medium. And that's one way I feel like I can kind of you know, make it kind of flow with, with me. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, one year for Christmas, Joseph gave me a, a steam vending setup. He, he gave me the steamer and built me a box. And I was like, oh yeah, I still, I still use it today. So. <laughs> oh, that's such a nice yeah. gift. Yeah. So, um, so sweet. <laughs> Relationship goals. Would, yeah, yeah, um, really owe a lot to him. And, you know, he, he taught me, you know, everything I know about steam vending from his experience, um, building wooden mm -hmm. sailboats. So, but, so yeah, oh I, I'm going to have to hit him up with questions. Yeah, please do. Um, but yeah, steam vending is, it's that you're right. You know, when you say you're only studying woodworking for three years, you think three years is a long time, not woodworking. You could spend three years <laughs> just cutting dovetails, you know, like, you know, um, and you're still bad at them. Like, they still get happy. <laughs> no, same be... with ceramics, too. I did like two years and I'm like, okay, now I can like kind of throw a little bit. <laughs> and like, if I put like 10 pieces in the kiln, like 30% of them come out well, you know, with crafts, it just takes so long. Yeah, that was um, a big learning point for me, uh, becoming a maker and artist, like very impatient. I wanted stuff to get done and move on. And like with woodworking, it's, you got to go with the process, you know, you can't skip steps or, you know, um, so that was definitely something that, that humbled me a lot. Um, but like you said, it's, you know, with, with craft. Um, and you eventually, I guess you, I don't want to say mature, but you know, you kind of are humbled enough that you realize, okay, how important the process is to making the kind of work you really want to make. Um, you know, we talk about that, yeah. you know, a lot with woodworking education, people are like, well, I can, you know, I can learn this from YouTube and this and that. And it's like, okay, yeah. but, uh, you know, you're only going to get out of it, you know, what you put into it. So, um, you can't just magically put those skills in your fingers. Absolutely. As bad as we want yeah. to. <laughs> <laughs> we do. <laughs> maybe someday. Maybe someday. I have a couple of, you know, batteries running me these days. Maybe someday we'll be able to program ourselves to be faster. Program while, like, while we sleep. It's like they practice. <laughs> Making the chisel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Awesome. Well, Sue, how can people see more of your work, get in touch with you? 
um, this has just been been absolutely lovely. But I want people to see if you want to show a couple of pieces too before we hop off. Um, oh, we had talked about, no. but if not, um, I they can totally come to your website and Instagram to check you out. Yeah, I can show a couple pieces. Yeah, I'm really active on Instagram. Um, my Instagram is Suju Studio. There's a Sue and then underscore Ju underscore studio. It's S-O-O underscore J-O-O underscore studio. I'm pretty active on that. Um, my website's also suju-studio.com. You can see like HD photos of my work there. Um, we didn't really get to talk so much about this, but um, can you see my screen? Yeah, so this was like kind of like the first bench I made at RISD and um, it was kind of the bench that started this whole exploration of biophilic design for me um, using motion tracking. So the top shape of the bench I was like really trying to create a bench that didn't look just like an Ikea bench since I am like hand making it for a month. Um, and I was like, why are all these benches rectangular? So that kind of started this exploration of like finding a shape that was beautiful and resolved like as much as a geometric shape, but like wasn't a geometric shape. So this is like this top of the bench seat that I used um, to create bench and then I kind of made the legs to kind of like make sense with the form um and I still use this like motion tracking technique to this day to create like all kinds of shapes for my mirrors and my most recent like bronze mirror um and I just think it just it's like such a great way to create novel forms that like people really resonate with because it's like motion of of like my arm or my body is like it's like literally how um, mass moves in the world so we all we all are kind of like familiar with it um and it resonates with us in a way and I also feel like because it resonates with us it also um triggers and satisfies our biophilia which is like our innate desire to feel connected with nature so I took this by design class at RISD which really um talked about this introduced this concept of like biophilic design to me but I was always like making work at RISD um like about nature like you know I would do the whole thing of like making all types of random art bad art and just exploring everything and then at a certain point I was like all making all my work about nature and I was like I didn't know why but I just knew it was important and then when I took this bio design class and they were talking about biophilia and how you know because humans like we spent so much time in nature as a species before we like recently moved into cities. Um, like the last like 1% of our evolutionary history on this earth, like we have this like desire to feel close to nature. So that's kind of like what I've been using as like my direction and like, okay, I love, I like this. I can make work in this field. And I, I try to make um, new design techniques to like motion tracking um to create forms that that do remind the viewer of nature and feeling connected with nature so yeah wow just amazing and like yeah that drawing there i you know seeing your mirror yeah yes yes that one right there <laughs> it's my website that one 
Yes, you can check it out. This is the website. Um, I just use Squarespace, but yeah. So this is also like a motion track sketch form. Like it's just one line. Wow. So like my goal is like, if I have these techniques, I would love people to like use them. Like Suju's motion tracking technique, motion tracking, and just kind of like explore their own like bioflick forms that they can make. You know, cause the possibilities are, are so endless with this really is and it's but to have that connection to to nature and just natural forms and shapes how lovely yes so i'm fun. gonna use the suju technique i'm gonna use that today. <laughs> i want to see awesome i will i will send it to you well thank you so much thank for so taking much. the time to chat and staying up i know we're on like a major time difference here and no I just it's only like 10 p.m so much it's always um, so nice to talk to you katie yes and you thank too. you for like letting me like introduce my work and have more time to chat about these like important topics in our field absolutely and and again thank you for taking the time and and being so open about your process um and uh just, I don't, I, I don't know. I feel like we're very lucky that you're here, it, you know, to, to look at your, your work so far and to see what you've put out as an individual and what you've already, I feel like have given to the collective community is just, I'm very grateful for it. And I'm grateful for all the support you've given me and um, the women of woodworking Aww. community and all the work I've done. So in case y'all can't tell, we really love each other. So you could have done that already. <laughs> Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I, I can't wait to see what you make next. Thank you, Katie. Talk soon. Thank you so much for tuning into our interview with Suju. I will include the links on where to follow her in the show notes for today's episode. If you don't know where to find the show notes, check out the podcast app you're listening on. In the podcast description, there should be links there, or you can find it in the description box down below if you're on YouTube or you can head to freemanfurnishings.com forward slash podcast and find this week's episode and past episodes and links there too. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at crafting a revolution and follow yours truly at women of woodworking. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe and follow head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. We sincerely appreciate the support. Thank you again for tuning in. Let's go craft a revolution. Solution for the toxic masculinities Pollution is the constant evolution of